as you make more and more money, as your business grows, you have to focus on reinvesting and trying new things. What works for one entrepreneur doesn't work for another. What works for one business doesn't work for another. So you've got to be trying all different avenues, whether it's the sales side, the marketing, even the finance and the bookkeeping side, just seeing what works and what doesn't. And that's really what I encourage entrepreneurs to do. Obviously, if you don't have a long budget, focus on projects. Hey, let, how do I get this website better? We are back with another episode of the Cold Star Project. I am here with Nathan Hirsch, the founder of FreeUp, a amazing freelancer marketplace, but there's a lot more to it than that. And we're going to dig into it. Uh, I, I, as I told Nathan, I didn't want this just to be an advertisement for free up. Uh, we are, yeah, look at the shock and horror on his face. What I really wanted to dig into was <laughs> the problems that um, his customers have. Who are you, right? Um, you know, this podcast is about the unexpected challenges of scaling and also being able to put your finger on what the problem is in, in growing your business and where the money is going. And so hiring VAs, staffs, 1099s, freelancers is a big part of that early stage and even into the middle. And maybe you just stay that way, right, with that kind of process for, for hiring and not go to W-2 as it's known in the United States uh, where you have a full-time employee and you're responsible for paying those benefits and that. So, Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love talking everything hiring. Right. Well, let's, let's get into it by uh, asking this question. What happens when somebody realizes they need to hire somebody else? Uh, when is the point that they should be doing that? Or when is it kind of a pipe dream? Like, oh, this is going to be the magic bullet, right? The, the white knight that solves all my problems. Yeah, well, I, I can kind of relate it to my first time. I had to start paying taxes for the first time. So I met with an accountant. I was a young entrepreneur running an Amazon business out of my college dorm room. And one of the first things that this accountant asked me was, when are you going to hire your first person? And I kind of shrugged them off, right? Like, why would I do that? I mean, I have to train them. I have to take money out of my pocket. They're going to mess up my business. They're going to steal my ideas. Classic excuses, right? And he just laughed in my face. And he pretty much said, you're going to learn this lesson on your own. Hmm. And sure enough, I, my first busy season came around. I'd never been in e-commerce before. E-commerce was pretty new. I didn't know what busy season was. And I just get crushed. I'm working 20 hours a day, filling every order, answering every email, and somehow I survive. My grades plummet, my social life is gone. I get through to January, and I think to myself, I can never let that happen again. I need to hire people, I need to be prepared, I need to be able to scale this thing. So I think the first way is you just run out of hours in the day. Eventually, if you scale, you're going to have to hire people. There's very few $5 million solo entrepreneurs out right. there. And I think the other way that, that I learned a little bit further down the line was when you just find yourself doing things that, that you're not good at. I think a lot of smart people become entrepreneurs. They, they want to master things. And I could spend the next six months being a, becoming a Facebook ad expert. And I'm pretty confident I could do it. I'm a reasonably smart guy, but that's not the best use of my time. I, I can't become good at everything. So when you find yourself getting too far out of your core competency, hiring freelancers is a great way to, to get on that hiring wagon without having to hire people ongoing. You can go more project basis. So those are really the two things when you run out of hours in the day or you're doing things too far out of your core competency. Okay. And I see a lot of solopreneurs, uh, and um, to be fair, I probably was one of them for a number of years, who want to hold on to all that stuff, right? And go, well, 
nobody can do the core stuff better than me and nobody's going to care as much about my business as I do, which is probably true, but that doesn't mean that you should hang on to doing absolutely everything. So I'm going to share a little anecdote from a couple of years ago, 2016, I spent most of my year working with a change management consultant from Holland who exclusively worked with tech companies of a thousand people or more. We worked on, you know, big stuff and we tried to hire a VA to duplicate something that I was very comfortable at, which was finding the right level of management science type podcast for my client to get on as a guest, right? And they couldn't do it. And I shot the videos, I did the walkthroughs, I made the list for them, whatnot, to show them like, this is an example. And we hired people and we were not hiring for $5, right? You know, we were, we were hiring for reasonable amounts of money. And we went through three people, all of whom said like we we after the first one we asked can you do this right and laid it out and they still you know they said yes took the money couldn't do it so uh, how how common have you found that and what have you done with your company to stop that from happening yeah i mean it's tough for me to comment on the vas that people find elsewhere i can only speak for freelancers on our platform and I mean, we rarely had that experience. We've had people for skill, attitude, communication, and part of the skill is not taking on projects you can't do at a high level. It's one of the, the fastest way to get kicked off our platform is if you're just experimenting on our clients, so to speak. Um, at, at the same time, as a business owner, you have to focus on what you can control. And what you can control in that situation is the process. And if, if I'm constantly hiring people and it's not working out, the first thing I'm going to look at is my process. And not only how can I make this process better and more efficient and easier to use, but how do I make it so it takes up less of my time? If I can't find that person, I need to be able to get someone into my process and know within a few hours or maybe a few days that whether they're a good fit or not without wasting my time. Because I'm happy to pay to find out if someone's in the right fit. I can always make more money. I can't get my time back. So one example of what I've done is I created a training doc and mine is over 50 pages long. And mm -hmm. for the first few days, I just pay them to read the document. They get paid either way. Just read it. I'm there if you have questions. My assistants are there. We're there to support you. And at the end of those days, we just test them. And it's pretty cut or dry. They either pass the test or they fail. And if they fail, I pay them. I'm respectful and I move on to someone else. And if they pass, great. I didn't invest any time up to this point. Right. Now I'll invest my time a little bit and fine tune them and, and get them to where I want to go. I guess my only other thought of that is sales is hard. Lead generation is hard. It's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of tweaking. It's a lot of failure. I mean, I've been on over a hundred podcasts and that probably means I, I've been rejected on a thousand podcasts, mm -hmm. right? That's just, that's just how sales work. So with sales, it's never a, a sure thing. It's never a flip the switch and go, there's always going to be tweaking to try to get to where you want to be. Okay. So uh, something that really stood out for me in your, your answer was the 50 page document. And I, I found this uh, to be true in the, the last business that I co-founded. Our onboarding process for new clients, when we got into it, we thought, Oh, this could be easy. We're just going to ask them a few questions you know, after we accept the money and, and get started. And it ended up being a, a six pages of, of like points and questions and tasks and things like that in our, our project management software. 
and it was like, holy cow, this stuff just keeps growing. So do you think that there's a disconnect for run and gun solopreneurs who are maybe getting to the point where they're realizing, hey, I'm out of time and whatnot, uh, between, oh, I'll just hire somebody and what they actually have to do to succeed? And how can we help them overcome that? Yeah, I, I, th I agree with you. And I think that one of the things that people miss out on is the why. Because when, when people are going through my documents or they're going through my videos, I try to really explain like, we're not just doing things because Nate made them up one day or Nate's some random boss who's telling you what to do. It's, hey, this is, we, we do these things for a reason. We do X because of Y. And it's, not, it's always subject to change. If you come in and you're like, hey, you know what? We can make this better, we can improve it. We wanna hear those ideas and, and we're always looking for that change. And I think that's what sticks in your head. If you're like, if you, or if you're learning how to do customer service and I say, Hey, we don't talk to, we don't say X to customers because last time we said that this happened and we don't want that to happen again. That resonates a lot more than, Hey, here's a list of 10 things we never say to customers. People aren't going to be able to memorize those 10 things out of the 50 page document. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it allows you to get into the clarity and the specificity 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 there's a word that i shouldn't have probably used but <laughs> but the real reasons why you would want to want to do this task as you say it's not just hey i uh enjoy the look of my own writing and and this tome of knowledge that i appear to have created there's a real reason behind everything where do you see freelancing going as a profession i know like six years ago if we go back to 2012, the world was quite a bit different. Uh, I think Elance was still around. It was in many ways much more Wild West than today. Um, what do you think's happening? What are, the, what are the major trends? Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about like virtual assistants and the lower level freelancers and the followers, mm -hmm. but the, the upper level, the mid-level, the specialists and the, the top level, the experts, the consultants, the agencies, the the, the people that are bringing their own expertise to the table, their own system, those processes, that's really where we've gotten to. I mean, I have an agency that runs my Instagram. I have a, a U.S. freelancer that runs my Facebook ads every month, and then I pay him a monthly retainer, and he works for a lot of our clients as well. So I think that's more the direction where people are realizing, listen, I don't want to drive to work every day. I don't want to follow someone else's rules. I don't want to have one client, that employer, where – if they drop me, I want to diversify myself. And it, we, we all know the pros from the client side. You get to, you get to access to talent from all over the world. You, you don't have to hire someone 40 hours a week. But from the freelancer side, I feel like that's starting to catch up. And people are realizing that that, that lifestyle is possible. And because of that, it opens up a lot of fun, entrepreneur, fun opportunities for entrepreneurs getting all these different ways to grow your business. There's more than one way to hire and scale now. Okay. Yeah. Cause that is the mentality of, of a solopreneur is, Oh, I'll get a VA. I'll get somebody to do the grunt work for me, which is not a bad idea because as you, you know, you should have a dollar per hour level that you should be doing the work for and everything below that should be taken care of by somebody else. But you, you just brought up uh, the higher level roles that are available. Now, Many solopreneurs, I'm going to be brutally honest about this because I've been one and I've talked to them for years, are scared to death when they're in that situation where they don't have a lot of cash flow and yet they know they need somebody in that. And now here you are saying, oh, well, you can just hire a CMO or something like that, right? How can they confront that? What can they do about it? Yeah, I mean, you got to figure out, you got to do 
small risk, high reward situations. Uh, that's really what I call it. I mean, okay. I'll hire someone to run my Instagram for a few months. And what's the worst case scenario? I lose a few hundred bucks, a thousand bucks. And yes, that sucks, but it's not the end of the world. I'm not going homeless. And okay. it, what's the best case scenario? They crush it. They grow my brand. I, they get some clients. They do a way better job than I can. So as an entrepreneur, as you make more and more money, as your business grows, you have to focus on reinvesting and trying new things. What works for one entrepreneur doesn't work for another. What works for one business doesn't work for another. So you've got to be trying all different avenues, whether it's the sales side, the marketing, even the finance and the bookkeeping side, just seeing what works and what doesn't. And that's really what I encourage entrepreneurs to do. Obviously, if you don't have a long budget, focus on projects. Hey, let, how do I get this website better? One-time project, all right, let's make more money. Okay, let's make our logo better. You can slowly invest without having to do monthly retainers, although I encourage you to, to get to that point where you have people who are really good at what they're doing, focusing on that part of your business consistently going forward so you're not wearing too many hats as you get bigger. Okay. And it's funny how what is scary at one point, if you allow it to become tolerable, it just becomes normal after a while. It's just, oh yeah, I pay $2,000 a month or whatever to this. It's addicting. I mean, yeah. hiring good people is addicting. Just like hiring bad people scares you off and makes you never want to do it again. Those good hires that free up your time and grow your business and you get the ROI on it, it makes you want to hire more. It makes you want to reinvest more. So, how do you ensure that your clients have a good experience then? Yeah, so I mean, there's four things that, that differentiate us. The pre-vetting, we get about three, 4,000 applicants every week to get on our platform. These are freelancers from all over the world, five to $100 an agency, or our virtual assistants, freelancers, agencies. We vet them for skill, attitude, communication, let the top 1% in, make them available to clients, but we're also very quick to remove people. We mentioned if people take on clients they have no, or take on projects they have no experience on, if they have a bad attitude, if they get aggressive, or if they don't communicate it, my team has to contact them. Hmm. Once they're in, we're pretty fast. Entrepreneurs like us because they put in a request and they can get started within hours or minutes. On the back end, my calendar's right on the top of the site. I'm not hiding hmm. from anyone. I'm very easy to contact. My phone number's there. But I also have a team of my own assistants that cover my Skype, email, live chat on the website 24-7. So if you have even the smallest issue, smallest need, if you need advice or feedback or you want my expertise, we're there. And then we also have a no turnover guarantee because we know how much it sucks to hire someone that you like only to have them walk out the door. And while that rarely happens, it's real life. So if they do quit, we cover replacement costs and we get you a new person right away. So that's what we really do to protect you. And I also meet with people before they even sign up and, and kind of point them in the right direction and help them however I can. Right. Yeah. Weeks ago when we booked this interview, I know um, I, I got a login for your site and started poking around in there. <laughs> I like to check things out and yeah, it looks, it looks great. So that is the big difference between like, look, I can go to Fiverr, right? And I, you can pay people a thousand dollars on Fiverr if you want and that, but the big difference you're saying is support and that continuity if somebody disappears, if an expert disappears, who's helping you? I mean, anyone can go and create an account on Fiverr and offer their service. We let one out of every hundred applicants onto our platform. We're, we're not a marketplace for newbies and, and we really stand by the, the people on the platform. And don't get me wrong, these are real people. 99% of the time they do a fantastic job and 
one of the reasons I could put my calendar on the site is because I spend very little time dealing with issues. But these are real people. Even the best freelancers in the world aren't the best fit for every single client in the world. And if issues come up, we jump on it, we solve them quickly, we make sure both sides are happy, and we move on. And that's really what we're all about. Okay. Freelancers who are watching this, um, what should they be thinking, doing, planning for the future about and taking action on? Yeah, I mean, they're welcome to apply on the site, but if you're talking about how to grow your freelance business, I think one of the first things that, that I always tell freelancers is start looking at it as a business. Hmm. Businesses have different revenue streams. They're not just dependent on free up or their own clients or Upwork. They're, they're offering their services in as many different ways as possible. They are marketing and doing lead generation and bookkeeping and, and customer service and all the things that go into being a business owner. And I think once you get into that mentality and you say, how do I grow? How do I become a mini agency? How do I get reoccurring clients? How do I come up with my own systems, my own processes? That's when you start growing week after week instead of just saying, oh, I'm a graphic designer. Every week I'm going to do graphic design. If you're a freelancer, there's a lot more of that. You're really being a business owner. Okay. I want to dig into some examples from your own business and growing it. Uh, so that people can can hear about these examples. Obviously, you have a front end, which is a website, right? And behind that is a database and some screening tools and that kind of thing. And behind that is people, right? I presume you've got programmers and people to do assessments and do all the nitty gritty problem solving stuff that goes on and on on daily things and people to monitor your social media stuff, like you were saying, communication channels and that. What happened as you started to scale? Um, what broke first? Um, yeah, I mean, when you, in terms of how we're set up, so we've got our developers, we've got our social media people, but our main core is our freelancer success team, which is recruiting and vetting people before letting them on. My team of assistants, which fills tickets and does customer service and works closely with me. And then we also have our bookkeeping and our billing team. And they're the ones that are billing clients every week um, and making and paying freelancers and, and all the stuff that goes with that. So those are the core. When, when we're growing this thing, you've got the three parts of the business. You've got getting more clients, getting more freelancers, and like you said, the, the software that holds it all together. And I think that's where the disconnect was at first because I never owned a software company. I didn't even look at us as a software company. We were, we were a marketplace for freelancers. So as we started to get out there and we got bigger and bigger clients and freelancers started to like us and our community grows, all of a sudden we look up at, and our software is lacking. It is so far behind the rest of our business. And it took a lot of self-reflecting because people were not unhappy, or let's just say their expectations were not up to par. They heard all these great things about FreeUp and they're logging their account and there'd be like two or three things to do and everything else they would have to email us to do. So mm. we really had to look and, and focus on, hey, how do we hire developers? How do we stay up to speed? Because at the end of the day, we're not going to compete with Upwork and Fiverr in terms of software budget. They have millions and millions of dollars. And even if I got an investor or I put money, a million dollars of our own money into the free up software, there's still going to be endless stuff that you can do to add on to the software. Software is, is a never ending cycle. So for us, it's figuring out how do we get enough manpower to keep software moving as we get bigger, but also how do we prioritize? There's always new ideas, new feedback, all these different projects we want to work on. Do we do a bunch of short-term projects and hold off on the big ones? Or do we focus on the big ones and 
all these small upgrades, people have to wait another six months or another year for. So finding that balancing act saying, hey, this goes in between this. This is what our software budget is every month. This is how we're going to increase it every quarter. I think that took us the longer, longest to figure out than anything else. Okay. So you had to develop a new core competency with the software development area of your business. Yeah, I'm not a developer. <laughs> is, that, is that something that you lead or take care of yourself or do you have a group of people around you? And how much time does that suck? <laughs> I guess. It's a great question. So I, I consider myself very good at managing people. I also consider myself really awful at managing developers because I'm a very logical person. What makes sense to a businessman doesn't make sense to a developer. And when I'm talking to developers, it's tough for me to think about it logically because I'm thinking of the business side. Now, luckily, I have a business partner, Connor, who's awesome. And he, we have the same values, the same beliefs, the same goals. We're entirely different people. We have different skill sets. We have different personalities. And he is much more patient, much more equipped to work with developers. So we divided and conquered where I don't deal with the dev team. If I have a dev idea, if I have a dev issue, we report it to him and he handles the dev team. Just like he doesn't really deal with the sales and the customer service side, that, that's all in my wheelhouse. So we really just divided it up to play on our strengths to make the business as efficient as it can possibly be. Okay. So that's where you've gotten. You've divided and conquered. You've got part of the business and it's brain power focused on the software development side, part of it on the people handling and process side. What, what is a, a day-to-day activity list look like for, for you now? Sure. So I usually am up by 637. I get a good solid hour or two uh, before my Skype and email starts blowing up. My assistants have usually cleared stuff out before I wake up and I have projects um, to work on depending on the day. And my calendar I mentioned is on the site. So I'll have meetings set up throughout the day. I'll also have times that are already blocked off. Hey, my, my Monday morning full team meeting is 10 a.m. every Monday. I meet with the accounting team every Tuesday at 11. So those are in there. Inside of that, it's whatever is booked for that day. It could be client calls, partner calls, new leads. It could be podcasts or webinars or, or different things thrown in there. Um, if I have certain things I, I want to work, work on, um, then I'll block off certain time. That's kind of my project time. No one can book me. And outside of that, like any entrepreneur, you never know what the day is going to throw you. So stuff comes in and you're constantly moving around and trying to get stuff done. And I'm at the point now where my team or my freelancers, my virtual assistants, they, they bill me about 1200 hours every week. So that's a lot of manpower. And a lot of our focus is managing and getting the most out of that manpower, keeping them organized, keeping them moving forward. Because at the end of the day, those hours are going to contribute a lot more than I can work in a 40, 50, 60 hour week. Hmm. I'm trying to see if I conceptualize the big takeaway there that I think I'm getting. So let me bounce this off you from what I heard you just say and see if it's right. Okay. If I understand correctly, you are using a kind of a customer service team to multiply yourself so that you can touch the customer much more often. And that interaction is creating more value, which means that they're reinvesting, right, and, and buying more services. Yeah, I've created a very unique customer service system. I mean, I don't know many businesses that are going to do over $9 million a year in revenue that have their, their calendar of the CEO right on the top of the website. Mm -hmm. But with that said, I feel like clients, they have limits. They have boundaries. I mean, I don't get 25 phone calls a day. I get them here and there, and, and people schedule them. 
and my customer service team can handle 90, 95% of stuff that comes in, but it's never, hey, you're talking to Bob from Africa and you're never going to talk to Bob again. It's no, you're talking to Jane, Nate's assistant, and Nate is always an email or a phone call away if you need him, but my reps are so good. I practice what I preach that most of the time you're not going to, and if, if it does get escalated to me, I'm pretty available and I can handle it. So that's really the culture and the environment we've, we've created, which is a little bit unique. And I've had business owners tell me, hey, I'm crazy. Hey, you got to take your calendar down. You're, you're not going to be able to scale. But we've been able to do it. And I'm very curious how far we can push this thing. Right. Yeah, it is, it is different. One of the things that I've heard about repeatedly over the years is to not let uh, angry customers have direct access to you because they can rattle you, right? Especially if it's first thing in the morning and that's you log in and that's the first thing you see, right? So it can set the tone for your day. But I think you avoid that by having it screened through the customer team first. Am I right or wrong there? I actually think you're wrong. I mean, okay. I, I, if, if someone's really angry, I want them to talk to me because okay. at the end of the day, I, I look at it as, listen, I'm a startup. Nothing is going to go perfect. I'm dealing with real people. And like I said, most of the time they do a great job. And mm -hmm. if someone messes up, if someone has a bad experience, I'm not running. I'm not hiding. I'm right there. I want to know what happened. What are the options? I'm going to propose a few different solutions, figure out how do I make you happy and execute it quickly and make sure you're taken care of and move on. I, I, so that, that's more of the mentality I take. Um, it's funny we have this phone call or this podcast today because Last night, I was planning on um, my, my team, my 10 assistants, they meet every Monday at 3 a.m. And mm. I never attend that meeting. But before the end of the year, I was like, all right, I should attend one of these meetings. Just get everyone ready to go going into the new year. So I set my alarm. I woke up. And at the same time, a client had, had an issue. And he was obviously stressed out of his mind. I could tell. It's the middle of busy season. He'd probably been working 80 hours that week. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was talking to this customer. and. I pretty much walked him through. We found a great solution. He was super happy. He hadn't kind of thought of it in a different way. And we moved forward. And I, I could have easily been like, sorry, it's 3 a.m. Talk to me in eight hours. But right. I was on and, and I wanted to fix it right then and there. Awesome. Well, what, I guess, what things would you like to have people understand about uh, hiring freelancers and being able to hire freelancers that they might not be thinking about? Um, I'll trigger it with uh, what, what is the highest level of customer that you have? Who, I mean, who they, like regular people might not think, sorry. Um, hey, wow, those people hire freelancers, right? That's, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, we have clients that do $100 million in sales a year and we have clients that do nothing and they're getting started for the first time and, and everything in between. And, we work with large e-commerce companies, marketing agencies, software companies, real estate developers. I have a client who handles a virtual assistant to run his fantasy football team. So there, there's a pretty <laughs> wide range in there that you can get creative to, to hire remote. And we even have brick and mortar stores. I mean, we live in a day and age where you can have an entire team of people in the office or at your store and still hire someone to run your social media that doesn't have to be there. So you can get really creative. I would say that the thing that people a lot of times don't think about when they're hiring because hiring's hard. So you make a bunch of bad hires and then you finally find someone you like. So what do you do? You just load them up with everything and people don't realize how risky that is. I can't tell you how many clients have come to me because they did that on some other platform and all of a sudden that person quit on them and they're in the middle of busy season and 
and, and they don't even know what to do. They don't even know where to start. And we've had to build an entire team for them from scratch because they put all their eggs in one basket. So mm. if you are starting to build, it can be so easy to just load that one person up. You have to fight the urge. You have to diversify. You have to departmentalize. And you have to get different people that can follow your process or do different aspects of your business. Okay. So hire someone to do one task first. <laughs> and then if they're good with that and they get confident with that and they have more capacity, then add more things. Not, oh, wow, my hero is here. Shove. <laughs> let, me, let me unload all this stuff to you. Okay. Uh, Nate, let's wrap up. What... Where do people go to, to get a hold of you or to find out more about FreeUp? And spell it out, please, the, the domain, because we're, some of this is going to be on video. Some of it, people are going to be listening on audio only. So, Yeah, it's FreeUp.com with three E's, F-R-E-E-U-P.com. Like I said, my calendar is right at the top of the website. You can book a time with me. You can create a free account. Mention this podcast at a $25 credit to try us out. And check out the Free Up YouTube channel. Check out the Free Up blog. We post a lot of great content about hiring to help you scale your business. Awesome. My guest today has been Nathan Hirsch from Free Up, the founder and co-founder, I guess, of, of Free Up. And uh, you can check out more at freeup.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me.